Feed, Play, Love with Siobhan Hunt. If there's one thing that makes people antsy, it's talk of anti-vaxxers. Parents were well aware of the anti-vax movement years before we ever heard mention of COVID-19. But the pandemic brought the vaccination wars into the spotlight. Diani Lewis is a science journalist who's just released a book called Unvaxed, Trust, Truth and the Rise of Vaccine Outrage, which is part of the Crikey Read series. Hi, Diani. Welcome. Hi, good to be here. You introduced this book talking about how your own mother went deep into the conspiracies around the COVID-19 vaccination program. This really illustrates how personal this debate has become, hasn't it? It has. You know, this has really created a basically a, a great rupture of my own relationship with my mother. And I think, you know, just in writing this book and speaking to people about the topic, there's almost no one that you talk to that doesn't have a personal experience, whether it's with a colleague or a brother-in-law or, you know, a parent. It seems so widespread that this has become a real flashpoint in society and a, at, a, at a really personal level. Mm. And yoga teachers, let's not leave them out. That's my yes, that's right. That's yoga my teachers. particular pain. Um, <laughs> so it is a very boisterous and loud argument. But statistically, how many people, how many people are ideologically opposed to vaccines, as opposed to those who you know have obstacles where they can't get vaccinated or they don't understand vaccination? How many in this in our population really don't believe in vaccines? Well, you're absolutely right. It is we we can't lose lose sight of the fact that this is actually a very small fringe group who are you know really vaccine refusals that are willing to say put their job on the line. Like if we have a look at some of the the numbers around people who've lost their job over an industry mandate, it's usually around the one percent mark or even lower. So there is staunch opposition to vaccines from some people, but it's a fleetingly small minority. And so I think overwhelmingly Australia is a pro-vaccination country. Because our rates for vaccination following the pandemic, particularly for the COVID-19 vaccine, they're quite high, aren't they? That's right. We've got more than 95% of people who, you know, aged over 16 who have been fully vaccinated. Uh, and even the rates in uh, some of the younger age groups are are getting up there as well. When you compare that to, say, Austria, as an example of a country that was considering a population-wide mandate, they only have around 75% of their population vaccinated, and that was after the threat of a mandate. So, you know, we are not even in that sort of realm. We are very much a vaccinated population, largely. I'm often baffled by parents who refuse to vaccinate their children. And as I mentioned in the introduction, parents will have heard of the anti-vax movement possibly well before the rest of the world did with um, the COVID-19 vaccines. But I guess it baffles me because I know that parents love their children. So no matter what you feel about your own body, most times as a parent, you know, you take a bullet for your child is what people will say. So we know parents love their kids and no one would put their child willingly at risk for 
some highfalutin ideal that they don't passionately believe in. So the parents in particular who don't vaccinate their children must really sincerely believe that their child would be worse off being vaccinated than not. And I'm wondering if you have any insight into where that belief comes from. Well, I think, first of all, we need to acknowledge that a COVID-19 vaccination for children is very different to, say, a whooping cough vaccination. Whooping cough can and does kill young children if they are not vaccinated. And the same goes for measles and all of those childhood vaccinations. They're there because these diseases really, really can have devastating fatal impacts on children. And I think what we've seen with the COVID-19 vaccination is people are seeing that cost-benefit calculus shift a little bit. They're saying, well, we know that COVID-19 isn't as damaging, isn't as harmful for children. Many kids get through without more than a bit of a sniffle. Uh, And so what's in it for me if it doesn't actually cause any harm to my children for them to catch the virus? And so it makes it a more complex argument to say we need to vaccinate children. First of all, I would I would also like to add that, you know, there are people, there are young kids who have died, who have had horrifying, you know, long-term uh, conditions, have been hospitalised. You know, it's not harmless for children. But I think, you know, with the vaccination, we need to look at the broader context of children in society. They are members of our community. And where I am here in Melbourne, children have already paid a very high price to protect vulnerable people in our community. They've stayed home from school for months on end. And in that context, as part of the community, we're asking that parents vaccinate their children and that will protect the broader community. It will reduce transmission rates. It will make sure that some of those more vulnerable members of our community have a better chance of not being infected in the first place. So I think that's sort of the more nuanced argument. It is slightly different to the childhood vaccinations that parents are familiar with, but I think it's still a good one. I guess the other side, the cost benefit, the cost of the vaccination is a bit of arm discomfort, you know, like, Mm. so some people frame it as, oh, well, this is all cost, no gain for the children. But that's not, that's not really the truth. I think the cost is often overplayed. The gain is underplayed. I'm assuming that parents who refuse to vaccinate their children for things like measles and mumps vaccines, that they would also refuse to give their children any kind of vaccine that came out with COVID-19. And I'm wondering if there's any line between that type of virulent anti-vaxxer and the ones that uh, came out during the pandemic. I think what we saw during the pandemic is a broadening of the number of people who were um, unsure about vaccinating their children. So whereas we might have had a a very small amount of the population who were willing to say, I'm not going to vaccinate my my baby or my toddler, uh, I think with COVID-19, there were slightly more people who were in that category of saying, well, you know, I did vaccinate my children with the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and I did vaccinate them for whooping cough and all of the other childhood vaccinations, but 
COVID-19 vaccination, it's so new, I'm not sure. Mm. Uh, so I think we probably had a broadening of that vaccine hesitancy in the COVID-19 pandemic. All of this speaks to a huge mistrust of experts, of scientists, of the government. Where does that come from? I think we've had trust in institutions and trust in politicians really take a battering and especially, you know, in relation to how the pandemic is is uh, managed and how it's controlled and all of that sort of thing has always been contentious and publicly debated. And that's on the one hand great that we're having discussions about what the best way forward is for our community, but I think it does come with that uh, sting in the tail sometimes where people say, well, not even the experts know what they're talking about, there's uh, debate, there are different countries that are taking different approaches. So maybe it's all just a matter of opinion and I'll just trust my own opinion. And I think that's that's really unfortunate. But I think uh, one of the really positive things is that people do still have a high level of trust in their GPs and their, you know, the public health providers who they have uh, access to and who they sit down and can actually have a chat with. And GPs play an incredible role in, you know, maintaining people's trust, answering their questions openly and honestly, and, you know, just trying to counter some of perhaps what people might be hearing on social media or other places. Which has, um, in some ways, seems to have taken the place of those experts, social media and dubious news sources online. One thing that I've noticed is a real connection between the wellness industry and anti-vax sentiment um, because I love my yoga and <laughs> I have had, it, it's been quite confronting to see the amount of teachers that I respect and um, know are very wise in different areas of life become very vocal about their resistance to vaccines that could sound counterintuitive to people, you know, a wellness industry that rejects the science of things that will keep us well. <laughs> I'm wondering if you have any insight into why they're so connected. One of the interesting things I came across in writing this book is that this idea that vaccines are against nature and somehow this nefarious toxin that we're putting in our body, that's been around for as long as vaccines have. And it's been a really common thread in the in the anti-vax misinformation from, you know, well before COVID-19 came along. And so I think there's this, uh, yeah, I think there's almost a, a, a natural sort of affinity between people who, you know, really cherish their own health and their uh, ability to control what goes in their body. They might not want pesticides or they might not want mainstream drugs. This is certainly the connection that my own mother has with, with I guess, her anti-vaccination views. She comes from the alternative health side of things. And so many people have that connection. And I think it can't be ignored. I mean, I personally think, well, we've got a fairly known quantity in a vaccine. What what we actually have far less insight into at this point is what this horrendous virus does to our bodies long term. Mm. So, you know, if you want to think about not having something 
unknown or toxic going into your body. I mean, I would certainly opt for not having the virus <laughs> going into my body. But certainly, yeah, there is a connection between the wellness industry. And I think that's that's where it comes from, this desire to be close to nature and not have foreign things in your body. In your book, you also talk about those people who have a platform, whether it's on social media, possibly in other parts of the media, who you call bad actors, that they're kind of amplifying anti-vax sentiment by republishing false news or false statistics, things like that. What's the motivation for people with that kind of platform? Because they can cause a disproportionate amount of damage, can't they? Absolutely. They have, a small number of people have an incredible influence on what information, what disinformation, what misinformation gets circulated. And I think, you know, it comes down to this uh, healthy scepticism. I think it's very healthy for people to be sceptical of, you know, pharmaceutical companies and their their motives or, you know, even a healthy scepticism about whether the government is choosing the right path in managing the pandemic. But I think people absolutely need to be sceptical about people who are promoting misinformation because there is money to be made in anti-vax misinformation. There is fame to be had. (laughs) And it was interesting, you said before that there's this mistrust in experts, but if you have a look at a lot of the key purveyors of anti-vax misinformation, a lot of the time they will have a quote-unquote expert who presents misinformation. And that can be incredibly powerful because people look at that and say, well, this person's an expert. This person makes vaccines for a living. This person is a scientist. Who am I to challenge what they are saying? If they are saying that I should be cautious of the vaccine, then I will be. And it really gives this veneer of respectability to a message that is extraordinarily harmful and just frankly incorrect. This might be a bit of a personal question to end on, but did you gain any insight into how people can maintain relationships with people they're close to who are anti-vax? Because it, it can become such a heated argument. It can become very personal and uncomfortable and very difficult not to walk away from. I'm just wondering if your experience writing this book helped you see a way forward with that. Absolutely. I, you know, when my mum started, I I guess, presenting me with these, uh, you know, videos that were trying to, uh, trying to show me how toxic the vaccines were, or, you know, trying to convince me that vaccination was not a good way to go. I mean, I didn't respond in a mature adult way, let's say. (laughs) You know, I I think I I got very defensive and I, you know, my mum brought up, oh, look, it's just really interesting from the psychological perspective because it's like, you know, sending these things about uh, mass psychosis and everything, like the whole everyone's been duped by this fear campaign of the government and that sort of thing. And I just couldn't help but become really defensive. It's like, I'm a science journalist. I know what I'm talking about. (laughs) But, you know, writing this book, it just was, it was quite humbling because I just sort of felt like, you know what, this was not the way to go about it. What you really want to do when you're faced with someone who has 
these views, you want to say, what's at the root of that belief system? What What is causing them to be, I guess, preferencing the information that they're seeing on Facebook or wherever else over the mainstream message? And to actually really approach it with curiosity, I think is so much more, you know, would have been, would have been so much more um, productive because, I mean, at the moment, I, I'm still not in contact with my mum. She's not taking my calls, not returning messages. So, oh, you know, sad. I think in the way that I approached it, you know, I have unfortunately done damage. And to be perfectly honest, I I never would have expected my mother to be vac- vaccinated and I didn't really care, you know, but instead it became something that has really led to the breakup of our relationship. So you're not going to send her the book? I'm not going to send her the book. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, I'm sorry that that's the outcome, but it is a really interesting book. Diani, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thanks a lot. That's Diani Lewis. She's a science journalist and author of Unvaxxed. Trust, Truth and the Rise of Vaccine Outrage. It's part of the Crikey Read series. And if you're interested in this book, you'll find links in the notes of this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Feed, Play, Love. If you did, please rate, review or favourite. That way you'll get all the new episodes. Plus, we can reach and help even more parents. And if you have a topic you'd like me to cover email me at feedplaylove at listener.com. Bye for now.